Acts chapter 9, verses 10 to 22. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias. Come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. And then he rose and was baptized. And taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Do you ever wonder why... God uses us. Do you ever wonder why he uses you? God blinded a man with real blindness. Saul couldn't see. He then spoke so that those around him had seen this incredible scene, this light, heard something but didn't know what it was. But Saul heard him. He heard Jesus say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why does God need us? Well, the truth is he doesn't. But he delights in using us. The God who's moving and extending his kingdom and growing his kingdom and the one that's going to accomplish his kingdom also ordains the means by which that kingdom will come to climax. When the last one of God's children is saved, not until then will he stop. He's going to create all that is necessary for that to happen. And he delights in using us. Why? God delights in using us because it brings him glory and it gives us incredible joy. He delights in using us because it brings him glory when we listen for his voice when we trust whatever it is he calls us to do, and then we go. That's the story before us. 
Ananias, we're told by Luke, who's writing this account, Ananias was a disciple of Jesus from Damascus. And Ananias, the best I can tell, was minding his own business. We don't have a a large account about his life. There's another Ananias in Acts chapter 5. We're going to actually look at him later. Not today. But this Ananias is simply going about his life when he hears from the Lord. And what does the Lord tell him to do? The Lord tells him to enter into a house where the greatest terrorist against Christianity is staying. He tells him to go into a house of a cold-blooded Christian hater and killer that wants nothing more than to obliterate the church of Jesus Christ. That's what he tells him to do. Anybody like that on your prayer list? Your top five? Your top three? I'm sure there's people there that you doubt could ever believe in Jesus. There's no way Ananias could have believed prior to this that Saul would come to saving faith. And that's who the Lord is calling him to go speak to. This morning, I want you to wade deeply into this narrative by using your imagination and then answering your imagination with gospel truth, straight from the word. Imagine that there is a reporter that has heard about what took place, that this man inflamed with zeal and a mission to obliterate the way, capital W-A-Y, had come to Damascus with authority written and sealed to chase down door by door anyone who belongs to the way and bound them up and take them back. Now imagine this reporter heard about this And somehow it heard that Ananias is going to go and he's going to have a conversation. And so the reporter's waiting outside of Judas's home where Saul from Tarsus is present. Ananias enters in. We don't know how long he was there. And then he comes out. I'm going to ask seven questions of Ananias. First question. Ananias, what was it like entering into the presence of Saul of Tarsus. How would Ananias have answered that question? Well, this is how he answered God when God told him to go. Verse 13, Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he is with authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. If you weren't here last Sunday, I spent the entire time describing how evil Paul was, Saul was. He was evil, friends. He would have wanted to see each of you in prison or dead. And if it was death, he would have delighted. He wanted the way of Jesus, the church, to exist no more and believed it was his mission to see that accomplished. He hated Jesus. He hated his disciples. He hated the followers of Christ. This is not a lighthearted, just irritated a little bit man. 
He was deeply evil in the blindness of his own zeal to what he thought was the one true God. So what was it like for Ananias to enter into that house where Saul of Tarsus was? I think he would have described it to the reporter that there was real fear. He had it, and he told it to the Lord. Maybe he would have said, I took a little comfort in knowing that the man was blind. That if he was coming at me, maybe I could dodge. But deep down, he knew that he was messing around with a man, dealing with a man who just hours before would have bound him up and taken him to jail. Second question, Ananias, why did you go? Why did you go in and have a meeting with this man, Saul from Tarsus? I think Ananias' answer would have been very brief. Brief. He told me to. Not Saul, Jesus, God himself. Look at verses 10 and 12. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, rise and go. So when the reporter said to Ananias, why did you go? He would have simply said, because the Lord told me to. He told me where he was, and he told me to rise, and he told me to go. The reporter's third question how did you know it was from the Lord? You know what Ananias would have said? Oh, because I belong to him. I'm one of his sheep. And he said himself that he is the good shepherd and that his sheep will know his voice. And I know his voice. And when he said Ananias, I knew it was him. And when he said rise and go, I knew he meant it. And when he told me what he wanted to do with Saul, that he was going to become his chosen vessel to extend the kingdom, I knew he meant it. Why did I go? Because he told me to. How did I know it was his voice? Because I know his voice. The reporter then asked a fourth question. What did you say to Saul? I didn't have the privilege of being in there. What did you say? Well, Luke tells us what he said. Look with me at verse 17. Ananias departed. He rose. He went. He entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, listen to his first words, Brother Saul. That's amazing. The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Lord had told Saul that a man named Ananias was coming. And now that man is touching Saul of Tarsus and he's speaking to him and he says, brother Saul. So what did you say to him? I said exactly what Jesus told me to say. I imagine, and Luke doesn't say this, that Ananias told him that he is a chosen instrument of the Lord's to carry on the name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel. Fifth question. Why do you think God chose Saul? I don't know exactly what Ananias would have said. 
But I can imagine that it was something like this. His ways are not our ways. His grace is more amazing than we can comprehend. From the beginning of the history of redemption until its end, it, it's full of these stories of God doing things that only God can do with people that most would never choose to do them. Even the ones he chose as his disciples. God's ways are not our ways. And I think Ananias might have gone on to say, you know, you think it's amazing that he took a man who hated Christians and on that road, he confronted him and he condemned him. That's why he was made blind. And then he converted him. Nobody else can convert evil, but God can. And now he's calling him and he's going to commend him. You may think that's amazing about this one true God, but Ananias might've went on to say to the reporter, but what's really amazing is that this God sent his son, his only begotten son, to die on the cross for the sin of mankind, including mine. That's what's really amazing. And what Ananias could not have known at the time was that this man whose presence he had just left, whose eyes had been opened, who had suddenly begun to eat, would one day write 13 books of our Holy Bible. And in one of those books, he would say, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? That this man would write letters to churches and to church leaders that would have scriptures that bring the only hope that the Rogers family needs right now, that they are not separated from the love of God, that this isn't the end of the story, though it feels so, so dark, losing a little one. Why did he choose Saul? I don't know. God's ways are not our ways. But he did it for his glory and for Paul's joy. Why did he choose you would be the sixth question. Ananias would have said, I have no idea. Other than to say, he did it for his glory and he did it for my joy. What do you think will happen? The final question the reporter asked. And I think Ananias would have said, I don't know exactly, but I do know this. What God wills will happen. And God said to me, Saul of Tarsus is my chosen instrument. So I'm not sure how he's going to do it or when he's going to do it, but he's going to use this man, Saul of Tarsus, to extend his kingdom. He's going to use him in the way to proclaim Jesus, the one he was persecuting, to the people that he said he should proclaim it to. I don't know when it's going to happen. I don't know how it's going to happen, but it's going to happen. And it did. Just after the encounter with Ananias, Luke tells us, verse 20, and immediately 
he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues. He spent some days with the disciples, and then immediately he went to the synagogue saying, he is the son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priest? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Why does God use us? It brings him glory when we listen to him. It brings him glory when we trust him. It brings him glory when we obey the very things he's called us to do. Jesus seeks and Jesus saves. He sought out Saul. He blinded him. If a God can blind a man and that same God can then speak to him, did he really need Ananias to show up on the scene? No. But he used Ananias because God was as interested in what he was doing in Ananias' life as he was Saul's. And Ananias heard his voice. Ananias, yes, Lord, here I am. Rise and go. He listened and he trusted, even though he was scared. And when the Lord said, I'm going to use this man who is my chosen vessel, Ananias believed him and he went. He obeyed. God's glory, his great joy. God has placed this church in churches like ours, full of members just like you in many places all over this globe. He is speaking to us through his spirit and word. And if we will listen, he will give us the clarity we need to go wherever he's called us. And he'll give us the trust that we need as well. And as he does, we will see his glory unfold we will experience his great joy. But I can imagine that wherever he has placed you, the street you live on, the place where you work, the place where you recreate, that there are people right now in your life that you could never imagine would place their faith in Jesus. You just could never imagine it. This story tells us that God can save anyone. And this story tells us that he uses his people to communicate that profound message. A number of years ago, there was a man who really hated Christians. He didn't live very far from here, just a couple of miles south, and a new church had been planted. Not a church that we were connected to, though we certainly could be, because they too believe in the core of the gospel. And this man was so bold, he's in his mid-50s, that he went to the pastor of that church and told him, get out. Me and the members of my community don't want you here in our neighborhood. Leave. That's bold. The pastor, with maturity beyond his years, said, you don't even know me. Can we talk? And they began to meet, and it was antagonistic and hard because the man was antagonistic and hard. He hated Christians. 
He hated the Jesus that we love. His worldview just couldn't line up. Not long after that, this man woke up in the middle of the night with a horrific nightmare. And the nightmare was centered on a vision about Jesus Christ. He wouldn't say, I was talking to Jesus. He wouldn't say, I heard Jesus. But he would say it was about Jesus and it was about damnation and it was about his power and glory. And I was scared to death. I didn't know what to do. So what did he do? He went back to that pastor. Not much really transpired there. A few weeks later, he met one of our youth interns at Luke's locker. That intern began to share the truth of the gospel with him. And over time, that man professed faith in Jesus and then came to this church. I met him about seven or eight years ago on Easter. On Easter, he came and stood right here. And he said to me, I am, and said his name. And I said, nice to meet you. He said, I like your sermon. I said, thank you. You see that line of people behind you? They don't. <laughs> he didn't really say that. I didn't really say that. I said, thank you. And I thought that was it until he said, I hate Paul. And I looked at him and said, Paul who? <laughs> I knew who he was talking about. But Paul, from his perspective, spoke so harshly against the worldview that he had for so long that though he was now a Christian, very young, my friends, very young in the faith, he just couldn't embrace the doctrine and theology of Paul. Eventually he would. Eventually he would come to see that Paul was a man just as evil, doing things beyond what you could even ask or comprehend against Christians. And so he could embrace he really was God's chosen vessel. He attended this church for a long time, and there was another Sunday I preached. And in my sermon, at some point I said, don't you long for the day when Jesus Christ is going to return? Don't you long for the day when there will be no more tears, no more suffering, no more broken relationships, no more heartache, no more rebellious children, no more death? Don't you long for Jesus to come home? And you shouted, some of you, amen. And then he met me on the steps just on the north side of our sanctuary outside and said, I've been waiting to talk to you. I don't like what you said. Okay, what, did, what about it? He said, none of my friends know Jesus. If he came back like you all want him to, they would all spend eternity separated from him. They like, they're like I was. I said, oh. You ever thought that way? It's powerful, isn't it? And then he said, Mark, will you tell them? How? Where? They're not coming here. Because no, 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 they won't come here. I'll get them somewhere. And you show up. And I did with David Newman, later on with John Bateman. And for a couple years, once a month, we met. 
My friend died. The man I'm talking about, he got very sick. And um, he was put on hospice. He didn't live far from here. And the women in our church, I've never been prouder of, took meals every day to that house. And they were good. It's a competitive body. They outdid one another. <laughs> it was beautiful. And the friends that really hated Christians were living in a major conflict that a group of people who love Jesus are being so kind to a group of people who in many ways have been hurt by, hurt by those who say they love Jesus too. The last time I saw him, he was unconscious. I entered into the apartment and uh, one of his friends who doesn't love Jesus was there and he said, would you do the service? I said, I would be honored to do the service. And we did. And the ladies, the same ladies, put together an amazing reception in the fellowship hall. Really beautiful. There were about 450 people here. And I promise you 430 of them would say they hated Paul. And there through the story of Zacchaeus, the wee little man, I was able to talk about this man's faith in Christ who had to climb above the crowd to see the real Jesus. And when he climbed above the crowd to see the real Jesus, what he saw was a Jesus who was seeking him. Zacchaeus, come down. The same one who would say a little while later, Saul, Saul. And the same one through a vision would say to Ananias, Ananias, this man I'm speaking of had a dream. The dream led him to a place where he was listening to who Jesus really was, and he gave his life to Christ. He then listened and felt the burden to go and tell his friends, who all thought he had had a stroke, literally. He was totally different. And they came, and he courageously told them about his new life in Christ. They loved him. They didn't love really what he had become, but they came to a church to honor his life. And there had the privilege of witnessing the love of Christ, not just in word, but in the actions of the women in this church. It's pretty awesome. God has the power to save anyone. God delights in using his people. It brings him glory when we listen. It brings him glory when we trust. It brings him glory when we obey. And it gives us joy. This journey's hard. But God can't be stopped. Ananias is a great story about a God who used him when he didn't need to. Why does he use us? Because it brings him glory. Jesus, this is the kind of stuff that we could never invent. 
It reveals your power and your compassion and your love. For it's easy for us to hate Paul or to judge Paul, Saul, to think we're better than him, but in the end, your word tells us that we were all God-haters until that moment when you spoke to us, opening our eyes to pursue you, seeing that you had pursued us. Lord, as we close this service with singing, our song is a prayer. It is a prayer of dependence, asking you to take us and make us who you long for us to be. May we leave this place, Lord, having heard your voice, trusting in you, eager to rise up and go wherever you've called us. In Jesus' name, amen.